For the past ten weeks or so, we've been looking at the vows that uh, are made when someone joins Clermont. And as John Collar was saying last week, the membership is maybe not the best, or definitely is not the best word to use. And the vows should not be taken as some set of rules. They rather are what we aspire to, what, what we want to be, what we intend. They're not arbitrary, though. They're not just drawn up because someone thinks they're a good idea. Rather, they fill out what we mean by living the Lord's way, loving the Lord's people, and, and sharing the Lord's message. That itself is a statement of something that we aim for, something that we aspire. And that itself is a phrase that fills out what we understand is involved in responding to Jesus' command, follow me. The gospel calls for a response. Not every message that you receive is expecting some kind of response back. Today, I may tell you, is Nigel Farage's birthday. <laughs> there you go. Piece of information, a bit of a message. Now, I'm not expecting any of you to make any response uh, to that information. Maybe if you're in the habit of sending Nigel a birthday card, you might be sitting there thinking, oh no, I've forgotten this year, I better go and do it. But generally, there's no, there's no response needed. It's a bit of information, it's a message. Uh, some messages don't call for you to do something. But the gospel does. Jesus called for repentance, for obedience, in response to our receiving his gracious invite to follow him, to be part of his family, part of his work, part of his kingdom. Now, a response to Jesus is not sufficient just when we say, well, you know, I believe in God. Very often I hear people say that as if that's all that the gospel asks or expects of us. I believe in God, that's okay. What else is up to it? Vladimir Putin believes in God. He does. Osama bin Laden believed in God. Peter Sutcliffe, the Yorkshire Ripper, he believed in God. He thought it was God that was telling him to kill the prostitutes. He believed in God. The people that crucified Jesus... They believed in God. So just to say, oh, I believe in God is, is not enough. There has to be something else or something different. Specifically, the response of the gospel is a response to Jesus himself, to take Jesus seriously, his words seriously, to let his message and his messengers shape and fill out what it means to follow him. Hence, we say that the call to follow me that Jesus issued is summarized in living the Lord's way, loving the Lord's people, and sharing the Lord's message. And what we've been attempting in these past months is to show what we aim at, show what is involved in making that kind of response. And so we have been in the few weeks in that final section of sharing and sharing the Lord's message. And we've outlined it in these ways of praying for the congregation's growth, inviting the unchurched to attend, warmly welcoming visitors, by actively seeking others, serving others in Jesus' name, and been sharing my faith with non-Christians. And in that final phrase there, sharing my faith with non-Christians, we are building on what's before. We are building on the praying to see God at work, taking opportunities to invite, be welcoming, and then in reaching beyond what we do, serving God and the world around us. 
And John, with the help of Gary, was looking at that last week, serving Jesus out in the world. However, without in any way pulling back from that, because that's part of the gospel response that we are to serve as Jesus served, to care as Jesus cared. Without in any way compromising that, see, in and of itself, it doesn't really go far enough. An often repeated saying, and one that's sometimes been attributed to Francis of Assisi, is preach the gospel often and use words if you have to. That sounds very neat. Sounds very clever, but it's wrong. Sure, actions should be backed up by our, sorry, actions should back up our words. And so, for example, in James chapter 2, we're told that words alone are not enough. There has to be a consistency of life. But that's not the same thing as saying words, therefore, are not needed, or that words are superfluous, or words could be done without. So, for example, when Peter took the gospel to the Gentiles, to the, taking it to, to the Roman soldier Cornelius, Peter went to the house of Cornelius, and Peter, verse 34 of Acts 10, began to speak. The actions themselves were not enough, just of going to the Gentiles, going into a Gentile's house, which a Jew shouldn't do. He had to speak and say what his message was. And then further on in that story, while Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit came on all who heard the message. Similarly, with Paul, the other outstanding missionary of the early Christian church, we're told that in Corinth, every Sabbath, he reasoned in the synagogue trying to persuade Jews and Greeks. And in Ephesus, we're told that he took the disciples with him and had discussions daily in the lecture hall of Tyrannus. This went on for two years. So that all the Jews and Gentiles who lived in the province of Asia heard the word of the Lord. And it wasn't just these great leaders of the church. The, when the church was first persecuted in Jerusalem and, and believers fled, those who had been scattered, we're told in Acts 8, preached the word wherever they went. Actions alone are not enough. It's the word of God that is being spread and being spread through words. And when Jesus commissioned his disciples to take his message into all the world, and we read of Luke's part of version of that in Luke 24, the first reading that Alan read, Jesus said they were to be his witnesses, to give account, share the story, give testimony to what God had done in and through Jesus. And so words and action are both needed, a bit like two blades of a pair of scissors. You know, the pair of scissors don't work with one blade. We need action and words. And so whether it was a Sisi or someone else who said, preach the gospel often and use words if necessary, they'd got it wrong. We're to speak up about following Jesus. In the second of the readings that Alan read, we have that given as a command in 1 Peter 3, particularly at verse 15. But in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and 
respect. Revere Christ as Lord, he says. That is, our sharing faith is not simply passing on information. It was Nigel Farage's birthday. Nor is it done with our own agenda in mind. It's an act of devotion to Jesus. Devotion to Jesus is not simply praising him and telling him how wonderful he is, but also telling others how wonderful he is. Worship and witness are two sides of the same coin. Declaring the goodness and the glory of God in our praise and declaring the goodness and worth of Jesus to others. And so evangelism is not a task that we have to do to keep the club going. You know, if we don't do enough of it, we won't get people and we'll have to shut down. That's not the the issue. The issue is about reverence for Jesus, obedience to him, and also wanting to see him better loved. And when Jesus told his followers in Luke 24 to be his witnesses, he underlined that the message was about him and not about them. You are my witnesses of these things, verse 48. What things? The Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day. Those things. It's a message about Jesus. So, the motivation really is reverence for Jesus as Lord. And secondly, he says, always be prepared to give an answer. Notice, Peter doesn't say, always be prepared just to share your experience. There's a place for testimony. But we cannot reduce the gospel to something like, well, it helps me. Surely it might help you too. Or, I don't know how I'd get through without it. You see, people feel different needs. You can't really say, well, I think I need it, therefore somebody else must need it, because we believe that we need different things. We had an example of that in our house just, oh, about 18 hours ago. Karen, my wife, come five o'clock, In fact, come 6 o'clock on a Saturday, come 7 o'clock on a Saturday, come bedtime on a Saturday, come Sunday morning, does not need to know what were the football results. (laughs) Doesn't, Doesn't feel any need whatsoever. I need to know. I stop what I'm doing... And, and, and find out. A miserable experience as it's often been this year. I won't care this afternoon. Some of you will, but I, I don't really care. But yesterday I felt I need to know. I couldn't have gone to six o'clock, seven o'clock. Couldn't have gone to bed without knowing. I, I, I need to know. Now, you see, when you, when you say about the gospel, or I believe in God because I need that in my life, you're reducing it to something that's a matter of personal taste and preference. Just like whether or not somebody's interested in football, or whether somebody's interested in Strictly, or somebody, whether somebody likes hill walking. You know, I, you don't, everybody doesn't need these things. And when we say, well, I've, I've, you know, I, I need this in my, in my life, that, that is just simply not enough. 
The gospel is an announcement of what God has done. You are witnesses of these things, said Jesus in Luke 24. And so we need to be clear about that message, that story, about the loving creator, about humanity turning from him, about his son paying the penalty for sin, and about his rising to show that he had beaten sin and death, risen as the first fruits of of a new creation, and about the coming of that new creation at the end of time. And we need to be clear, not just that that's the shape of the story, but clear about why that story can be believed, should be believed, and indeed must be believed if someone is to be reconciled to God and receive God's good news. That's what it means when Peter says, always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you. And a wee bit of work involved in that. Not just how do I feel, I feel I need it, but what do I believe and and why do I believe it? What, What reasons are there for it? Now, it's not this case that you have to win every argument. We cannot do that. Um, And just as no matter how fast somebody was in the draw in the Wild West, there was always somebody somewhere who would be a wee bit faster. And in the same way, there's always another argument. So it's not a case about that, but it's saying, here's why I believe. Here's here's why. Here are reasons why I think it's it's a, a decent thing, that it's not a daft thing to believe in Jesus. And if you're not sure about that, you need to work that out. And we've, we've tried, we've done series like Lost for Words, and we've, we've presented all kinds of ways and discussions through focus groups and everything else to say, work it out. It's a command. Be prepared, says Peter here. He's not giving us a suggestion. But he also says, do it with gentleness and respect. It's much too easy. It's a bit of a cop-out, I think, used by some to say things like, well, I don't like speaking up. I don't like ramming it down someone's throat. Well, neither you should. But there's a wealth of options between ramming it down someone's throat and not saying anything at all. It's not either one or the other. And a real and a sincere engagement showing compassion and concern. And John was highlighting this last week in terms of our service in the world, but coming out of respect and affection and so on. That too is part of how we speak up for Jesus. Um, yesterday morning, I was, um, I was relaxing at home. I was listening to some Beth Orton music, and I was um, reading in a Christian magazine. Um, and I came across the magazine talked about this illustration that I found helpful. It's saying, sharing God's truth, it's not like taking a big boulder up to the top of the hill and then pushing it down on top of someone so that you crush them into believing what you believe. We're not trying to do that. Rather, he said, it's much more like a small stone. You know, a small stone that somebody's got in their shoe. You have to stop and, and, and get it out and deal with it. Sharing Jesus is much more like that. We're not trying to crush someone into believing. We're trying to say, hold on a minute. Have you thought about this? Have, hold on a minute. Have you looked at Jesus? Just as the way you sort of have to stop and say, oh, what's that in my shoe? That's what we're de- doing. That's why it's with gentleness and respect. We're saying, here is some, something worth thinking about, worth looking for, worth seeking. 
And it's a word, notice, about hope. Give an answer to everyone who asks you to give a reason for the hope that you have. The gospel is not just about, here's a way to get out of jail free. Here's how you can be let off with things, sin and guilt. It's a message about hope, and and hope is needed in our tired, in our confused, in our hurting and, and, and difficult world just now more than ever. People want hope. People need hope. And there is no greater hope from the world than there is through Christ. Christ's message, yes, is very much in the here and now. Christ's message, yes, deals with life as it is now. But it also points through and beyond to a final kingdom of fullness of life. And it's only through Christ is there a way in which sin and death are defeated, in which a kingdom of truth, beauty, justice, and purity will triumph. Only through Christ is there reconciliation. Only through Christ is there ultimate hope for the world. That doesn't mean the answer's quick. It doesn't mean the answer's easy. And we must beware of kind of people who have got pat answers to everything. There's a lot of loose ends. There's a lot of untidy stuff. But that doesn't mean just because you cannot answer everything, it doesn't mean you cannot answer anything. And there is in the gospel, there is in that story, not of how I feel or how it makes me feel, but in that story of what God has done in Christ, the message that is reconciliation for the world and there is hope for a kingdom of fullness of life to come. Be ready to share that. As well as serving in the world, as well as our actions, God wants us to be able to know what we believe and why we believe it. Which is why our final statement in the vows said that we have to say something. Said that we have to pass on our good news by sharing my faith with non-Christians. It's not about brutally trying to win arguments, but to say here is good news. And that is something that we all do with stuff that we believe is good news. I'm guilty. Grandparents. Have you seen the latest picture? Can I show you? Can I tell you what she did? Guilty as charged. It's good news. We want want to talk about it. See that wonderful sunset? Come come and have a look at that beautiful sunset. It's good news. Aberdeen can still get into the top six. As long as Hibs don't beat Harris next week. It's good news. Whatever we think is good news, we we want to pass on. Don't we? And so if Jesus is good news, why is it so hard to talk about? Always be prepared. To give a reason for the hope there is in you. Let us pray.